Welcome, everyone. Welcome back to Pas de Deux. I'm your host, Clara. And I'm your host, Jessica. And today we are in studio with Stephen Cantor in his studio at Stick Figure Productions um, on site. This is another on site interview, so you might hear a little bit of background noise. Um, we'll do a brief introduction and then we'll hop into our interview as usual. Stephen Cantor is best known as the director of such hit documentaries as Chasing Tyson, which is 2015, Loud, Quiet, Loud, a film about pixies from 2011, and What Remains from 2007. He's also the producer of Devil's Playground, Reporter, and Unraveled. He's the founder of New York-based Stick Figure Productions. Since its formation in 1999, Stick Figure has developed and produced films and series for over 40 television networks and digital platforms. Wow, that's a lot. Founded by Oscar-nominated filmmaker Stephen Cantor, uh, Stick Figure has specialized in character-driven docuseries such as HBO's Family Bonds, Kimora, Life in the Fab Lane, American Gypsies on Nat Geo, and Catching Hell from the Weather Channel. Whether profiling Amish teenagers or fashion divas or bail bondsmen or gypsies or rock bands, Stick Figure brings its unique ability to build characters and artfully reveal tension to every project they undertake. And if you're wondering why we're talking to Steven today, it is because he made the hit 2016 film Dancer about Sergei Polunin, which hopefully all of you have seen. It was just released um, recently. We're in December now, and I think it was released in October this year. September of this year. Um, so we can't wait to learn all about the making of Dancer and many more things from Stephen. Welcome. Thanks for joining us. Thank you. Nice to be here. So uh, to get started, why don't you tell us how you became interested in Sergei and uh, whether you have a background in dance or a connection to the dance world. In 2012, I was approached by a producer named Gabby Tana, who's a longtime friend of mine who's based in London. And she said, I've just met this kid. He is incredible. He's the most amazing dancer, and he's just left the Royal Ballet, and he's got all this bad press right now. I think you should come over to London to meet him, and I think there's a documentary here. And I Googled Sergey, and I saw this rough, tough Russian guy with his yeah. tattoos, and I thought, I thought I was flying over to England to meet this, you know, this monster. And it turned out that he's like the guy you meet in the film, a soft-spoken, intelligent, clearly conflicted, very kind young man. And I thought there's going to have to be some kind of resolution between his terrible public image right now and he's going to have to figure out a way of coming to terms with this and rectifying the situation. So it'll be an interesting story to follow. And at the same time, to answer the question about my having a connection to ballet, I have a girlfriend who's a former dancer who I live with and a daughter who is a current dancer at the School of American Ballet. And I live with ballet on a daily basis in a major way through the two of them. And so partially I was just interested to work with Gabby. She's an incredible producer. She was nominated for an Oscar for Philomena last year. She does a lot of amazing features. And then she kind of had me at ballet because I thought I've always, like when my daughter was six, I always thought if I could make a series about a purple hippopotamus right now, it would be amazing. And then next thing you know, she was eight and she didn't care about purple hippopotamuses anymore. And mm -hmm. But when the idea of a ballet film came along, I was like, ooh, oh, like she was nine, serious about dancing, and I knew it wasn't going to end anytime soon, so I thought, yeah. opportunity to be a cool dad here. And so I flew over to England and met Sergey, and he was this you know, much nicer guy than I thought, and I told Gabby, I'm in, sign me up. I think we can agree that that's who we saw in the film, someone who was very mild-mannered and very nice, and it is interesting to see someone on the film 
in such a close, intimate way. Speaking of that, what is your filmmaking process like? Let's just dive right in. And what is your role in the process? And how did that come into play when working directly with Sergey? I don't think I go into every project with the same, here's the way I work. I think each one is different. And with Sergey, he was very, like he'd never spoken to anybody very intimately about his feelings. He'd never been in therapy or anything like that. And he hadn't worked through a lot of the issues with his parents and his childhood and their divorce. And none of that was like out in the open yet. Um, so it was a very, with Sergey, a very long, slow, careful building of trust going both ways. Because as a filmmaker, you have to not only earn the trust of the person the film's about, but also vice versa. I had to trust him if I'm going to spend this much time telling a story. It takes hundreds and hundreds of countless hours and months and time to make one of these films. Yeah. And so you have to really believe the person's going to be with you and it's going to give you access and open up. And so I'd say on both sides it was a slow process, but I felt like there was something really extraordinary and special there and that he's an extraordinary dancing ballet talent so I very quickly thought it would be worth my really digging in with him and we would talk sometimes we would film our conversations sometimes we would just have audio recordings of the conversation sometimes we would just go out to eat and get to know each other a little there weren't that many shoot days and that many trips it was kind of like three three days here wait a few months four days here wait for things to happen we were kind of waiting for his life to unspool while we were making the film and over what period of time did you make the film? That was 2012 that we started, and or late 2011, and ended 2000, end of 2015. So. And so just to give our listeners some context, um, at that time period, where was Sergei at in his career and his personal life? When we started the film, he had just left the Royal, and he was single. And he was single throughout the making of the film. There's actually no mention of... We've been criticized for not bringing in his personal life into the film, but he actually really didn't have a personal life. He was really in kind of professional mode trying to figure out himself through the making of the film. He was not really dating and didn't have anyone special in his life. Natalia Osipova came in towards the very, very end, and it was just impossible to introduce her in a, in a natural way into the film. Okay. Well, you traveled... You must have traveled to quite a few different places. We saw him in... Ukraine, I mean, I think you went back to his home and spoke with his parents and saw his home where he grew up, which I thought was so touching. I really felt like that helped us get a picture of who he is, seeing um, seeing where he grew up, because it's so different from where so many of us grew up, at least in the U.S. And then you saw, you were with him in Russia for a little while when he was there, and then L.A., and Yes, I don't know if New York really came into play, but that's a lot of globetrotting, so you must have gone to London, most of the film was shot in London. Okay. Yeah, mm -hmm. which is really where he's still based, Okay. primarily. So many visits to different places. Ukraine, Russia, London, Los Angeles, New York. Very cool. So when you first met him, that was actually right when he left the Royal Ballet, and that's when his media coverage was, I would say, probably the most explosive, um, because that's when, you know, he was actually being called the bad boy of ballet and there are all these stories about him and of course the royal ballet is a big deal so i'm sure the press just went absolutely nuts i mean i don't know the extent when you were going into this project initially did you have a goal in mind in terms of starting with that idea or with that perception from the public and over time um how did 
his story sort of unfold for you? What I look for is a person who is extremely passionate about something. That, to me, is always really important, I think. I, I in my personal life, try to be a little balanced between personal and professional and health and family. And I'm always drawn to people that are just dedicated to one thing at the expense of all else. So we made a film about Ingrid Newkirk and PETA, and the director and I were going up to her apartment at one point, and she said, in the elevator, she said, you know, I think you're going to be the first visitors to my apartment. And we said, oh, really? You just moved in here? And she said, no, I've lived here for 12 years. <laughs> and as soon as she said that, I was like, this is going to be an amazing film. Like, a person who's that dedicated, all she does is wake up every day and go save animals, and she's oh, got wow. no personal life at all. So I think with Sergey, I saw the same thing, and I've had other other subjects I've had similar obsession with Sergey was the same thing starting at age four he and his family decided this guy's going to be a ballet dancer and he sacrificed his entire childhood in pursuit of that dream and his mm -hmm. family sacrificed everything there including their relationships with each other and their relationship with him mm -hmm. to get him to that place of ballet success and then he gets there and there's always a question of like what's been the price that you've had to pay for that of not having the balance and not having the family and not and yeah. so I knew that story would be there. But with documentaries, you just, you know, it's almost like standing in front of a minefield and trying to get to the other end without having all your parts blown off and uh. just never know what's going to unfold. And I think the great documentary filmmakers just get lucky that while they happen to be filming, amazing things happen. Yeah. That's a big and part of it. That's interesting because I think it's, I just think it's great not to go in with, too much of a preconceived agenda or goals because as you say with documentary you just don't know where it's going to go so you have to see how the story unfolds I mean we were maybe two and a half three years into the process and Sergey was in a really dark place really thinking about retiring and becoming an actor full time mm -hmm. when David LaChapelle asked him to do this video and he decided okay I'm going to make this video with David LaChapelle to take me to church and that's my retirement I'm done and we were in LA and he was rehearsing and we were like you know, he's an amazing dancer. We're watching him rehearse, and Jade, the choreographer, and I were like, this is crazy. This could actually be the end. No kidding around. And I was thinking, this film is going to have such a sad ending. It's crazy. Like, we're going to watch this flame die out it's in this sad. documentary. And I was, for months, in this, like, oh, God, like, my films don't usually have such dark, sad endings. And that's where it's going. And then Take Me to Church got made, and then David leaked it on the Internet. He wasn't supposed to do that. Oh, that's how I got leaked. <clears throat> and we were like, first day, like, David, there's 250 hits. you got to take this down now. And then we were like, David, 9,000 hits. Come on, take this down right now. And then next thing you know, it was like, whoa, this is going viral. Yeah. So that and was your lucky moment. And all of a sudden, there was an outpouring of support for Sergey and people writing notes thanking him and little kids being inspired to dance now. And he was so moved and so inspired by that experience of working with David and making the video and expressing himself in that way and so pleased that he touched an audience to such an extent that I think he got re-inspired to keep dancing. I think he needed, he's the type of person who needs an external motivation. Definitely. Some dancers, it comes from within. It's like just a deep love of dancing. Like my daughter just loves it. It's in her blood. With Sergey, I think he needs an external motivation to keep going. So it was, originally it was get his parents back together and then that didn't work, and he lost his motivation, and now he realizes he's inspiring people all over the world and kids, and I think that's given him a big boost to keep going. Absolutely. So that was sort of his lucky break and your lucky break in the film. 
to actually see that progression and see how that was his inspiration once again. And then all of a sudden we had sort of a more traditional story structure where we had him at his really low point where he feels like he's quitting and then David's video came out and Sergey got re-inspired and all of a sudden we had a, a third act hmm. where Sergey's back a little bit. So so interesting to hear you say that because I maybe always sort of assume that people who are as passionate as you described of the people who you cover in documentaries have that internal flame where on some level, whatever it is, they just love it so much. Um, and it sounds like that's maybe not always the case. Maybe they re- they can be driven to their extremes of passion through more external factors. And that's surprising, especially in a ballet dancer, I guess just as someone coming from the ballet world. Do you think that would mean that he will leave dance at some point sooner than later and pursue other things? Or is it possible to predict at all? <sighs> I mean, I think he's still at very much at a crossroads in his mind. Hmm. I think he's starting to get movie roles now, largely because of the success of Dancer. He's going to be in a film with Jennifer Lawrence. I think if Hollywood beckoned, I think he would definitely go there in a big way. Wow. I think he wants to do fashion. I think. Oh, that works too. I think all that stuff is in his mind. Still, the vehicle for him to get there is ballet, and I think he's that's sinking in. And I think he appreciates it. Interesting. I think he appreciates dance more now as a as an adult than he did as a kid, but I definitely don't think as a kid he was thinking, I'm doing what I love. This is awesome, I think, Mm. which is the case for my daughter and and her friends. Well, it appears that already he has seen a difference after Dancer, so it has had a positive outcome in his life um, if he is getting more into acting and things like that. Do you think overall the film has had an impact in other areas, like such as public perception what has been sort of some of the buzz around the film and what has the reception been like overall in all of the various countries that it's playing it? I think for sure the film had a very positive effect. Making the film had a very positive effect on Sergei because he was forced to, it was almost like going through therapy. Mm-hmm. Not that I'm a therapist, but I definitely led him into some very introspective, dark contemplations that he'd never been through before and led him into an understanding of why things happened and how things unfolded and orchestrated conversations with his parents and between him and his parents where a lot of stuff was discussed, some of which was in the film, some of which was not, just for time reasons. Making the film and then also it brought his parents together. They all had to figure out where the footage was and who had pictures and who's going to get us what. So the parents started talking. Their relationship has now improved. They came together to see him perform at the end, which probably wouldn't have happened without the the film getting him to a nicer place. Oh, that's good. So it had a good effect on the family. And then the response around the world has been really great. Um, it was, I've traveled around with it a fair bit. To, I've been to at least five or six European countries where it's being received very well. It was the opening night film of the Cork Film Festival, and it played very well in Zurich. And it did extremely well in the London Film Festival. It got very good reviews. Uh, It's winning awards. Just won some big award in Poland, the Poland Film Festival. Got nominated for a Producers Guild Award, which is very prestigious here. So I think think universally it's being well-received. I think because it hits a universal theme of parental struggle. I think I've had a lot of parents come up to me just weeping after screening, saying, you know, it just dredged up so many memories. As a parent, you want, to, you want your kid to find their passion, and you want to be there and encourage them to do it, and you also want to be there in case something goes wrong, and how much of a 
fallback position should you offer them? And, you know, and the whole thing is like trying to control watercolors. It's crazy wow. being a parent. And I think it really hit on that. Not necessarily about necessarily ballet, but just being a parent in general. You bring up a good point about self-reflection in the audience. Um, I found myself reflecting in it in a different way. And from the perspective of someone who is always going through the world looking for their passion or their purpose or their reason for why they're doing something and continuing to dedicate themselves so fully to something. And I think there's something in this film for everyone in that regard. So I was surprised by that, that I was able to reflect on my own life while watching this. Yeah, I mean, I think I always, I always try to look for the human story and not necessarily the specific. Like I was not really interested in making a ballet film as much as figuring out what's the human story here and what's the character arc and I come from kind of a fiction film background I should Mm. probably be making fiction films but I'm in this documentary career Mm. right now but I try to make my films have a little bit of that the feel of fiction films I take my cues visually and structurally from fiction films yeah and yet we did see some really great footage I felt of him dancing which I really appreciated as a dancer, because if I'm ever going to see a film about dance, even if the ultimate aim of the film or the filmmaker is to tell, is to complete a narrative arc or take you through an emotional journey, which I appreciate just as a dancer, like I have to see some, some good dance, or at least I want it to be proven to me that the person that's supposed to be a good dancer in the film really is. And I think my favorite, like the, my favorite part that really sticks in my mind was, um, a little piece. It was footage of Sergei in class when he first arrived at the Royal Ballet. It was um, all the boys going across the floor, doing an exercise across the floor, and everyone else dropped out after, you know, they tried. They did the combination maybe once, and they were really struggling. And he he completed it. He did like five pirouettes or something, and just totally knocked it out of the park. And everyone else had just like completely failed at the combination, which was obviously a really hard com- combination. And I just thought that was so cool. It just really put it in perspective. And yet he was great friends with everyone. It wasn't like he was trying to outcompete them or anything. That was actually but. his video camera. He used to take the camera to class once in a while so he could watch himself, and he just propped the camera in the corner just, just so he could see himself. And he didn't even know that footage existed. He just sent us all his Which is also a stroke of luck that you had all this, that he happened to be someone who carried a video camera before Amazing. we all carried cameras. Like, that's awesome. I've that's never awesome. had that before. Um, that his mother in poverty-stricken Ukraine without yes. a camera had the wherewithal to borrow a neighbor's camera yeah. and film Sergei to the extent she did and be yeah. as competent a cinematographer as she was. Like, very steady shots and lots of, like, oh. touching family scenes. And so she borrowed the camera. That was confusing. I didn't know. I didn't yeah, we didn't make that clear in the film. Oh, really? I didn't so even learn that, actually, until him. the Q&As. She told me. Okay. She was at a Q&A and someone asked a question about that. and. I Afterwards, she was at the. She was at dinner and told Sergey. Sergey didn't know either. Interesting, because she actually the New York Times had pointed that out. Um, whatever writer wrote about Dancer um, before it premiered, basically said like, "Oh yeah, but then again, they had a camera, so they couldn't be that poor or something like that." Which I thought was a really snarky, but that's the New York Times for you. And so that was a point that. of, I guess, mystery for all of us. That's interesting. That person never got their video camera back, right? Didn't she give it to Sergey when she left London? Or did he have his own? Not that that's important. (laughs) I think think that was his own. No, I think she was borrowing it on a daily basis and giving it back. Okay. Wow. It's almost like she planned this all. 
Vici Pendola. I've never gotten in any film I've ever done had that. In fact, I've resented filmmakers that have been handed this box of amazing footage, and I've never had that before. Yeah. And it didn't come in a box, by the way. It came, like, trickling in little by little. Oh, I bet. They would find three tapes and send them, and then Val had some, and Jade had some, and then the mom would find yeah. a few more, and then the father yeah. came up with a couple, and they would just, like, trickle in. And I had an associate producer sitting here with me named Julia Loomis, and she would she was the first person who looked through everything, and most of it would be, like, bad, bad, bad. And all of a sudden she'd say, like, oh, my God, Sergey's mm-hmm. running through the snow naked. You have to see this. Or <laughs> that was a great scene. we have, like, our, our gem. Wow. But that footage of him that you were talking about in class where he just blows away everyone else at the Royal Ballet School. Like, these are good dancers, and he just goes, like, 15 times more than the next person. And then goes again, like, mm-hmm. like wow, that is, he was a hard-working, dedicated, talented kid from a young age. Wow. So I really love how you show <laughs> who he is as a dancer, all the greatness <laughs> behind him. But you did touch on the fact that you, you really did profile him and show him as a character. You really developed his character naturally throughout a documentary film. And it's a documentary film, so you're not creating anything. You're just sort of unveiling him in this character-driven sort of way. This is your background, so it makes sense that you would take this approach. And I was very happy to see this approach when I saw the film. Um, Tell us more about how did this theme of specializing in character-driven films evolve? How have you been able to focus mostly on subjects that interest you through Stick Figure? And do you also do a good amount of commercial work? I started Stick Figure in in the late 90s. I was right out of USC film school. While I was in film school, the first film I made, which was going to be a stepping stone to get me into film school, while I was in film school, that film got nominated for an Academy Award, which was crazy. It was a short about a photographer named Sally Mann. Wow, early success. When I was in film school. My first year of film school, my short that I made that I thought was going to help me get into film school was nominated for an Oscar. How did that happen? The short documentary category is not very competitive, first of all. So you had to submit it somewhere, Yeah, to the Academy. Yeah. Yeah. So I I had an executive producer. No, a a friend of mine saw it and said, oh my God, you can get an Oscar nomination for this. And I said, if you do it, I'll make you executive producer. His name is Mark Morey. And he said, okay, no problem. I made him the executive producer, and he went through all the Academy submission process mm. for me. And then I started to hear buzz, like, oh, my God, I'm in the, a member of the Academy, and I loved your movie. It's going to get nominated. And the next thing you know, that wow. actually happened, which was crazy. Yeah. And so then I was in film school, really, to study fiction film sc- filmmaking. And in my first year there, I was nominated for an Oscar for a documentary, and I kind of became documentary guy. I was, like, making a living while I was in film school, making documentaries, studying fiction filmmaking. And then the documentary train just left the station. Mm-hmm. One to the next, to the next, to the next. I got in with HBO and made a lot of films with Sheila Nevins at HBO. She was my hero and my idol and my fairy godmother and my evil stepmother and really? all kinds of things for for a good 15 years. And hopefully will still be all those things to me moving forward. The subjects that I'm drawn to, I think, I, mean, I really do think I think like a fiction filmmaker and I think... What's the character? What's the story going to be? What's going to be the arc? Is there a journey that we're going to be able to follow here? I don't ever approach a subject thinking like, I have this important message that I need to get out of. Let's not kill dolphins or whatever. I always have 
character who's got a really strong passion and something that they're going to go through that I think I can follow in an interesting cinematic way and kind of pick the subjects I want and go pitch them and you know one one out of five I sell and that's the films I make so the Pixies and Sally Mann and Nicholas Kristoff and Ingrid Newkirk from PETA so if you're not uh sort of funding the fun projects if you will through all the not fun projects like so many filmmakers or so many people who do anything um these days how do you fund a film in general what's the process and how would your producers and that might be you at sometimes know who to approach for investment i mean how do you figure out that world of things did it come easily or was it hard to kind of find the funding to get started and get on a roll definitely uh Oscar nomination didn't hurt in the beginning. Yeah. yeah. And then I really had it in my mind that Sheila at HBO was making the best films, and I pitched her probably 15 projects. So over. you pitched directly to her, I see, when you were getting started through Strict Stick uh, Figure. Sometimes directly to her, sometimes to one of her sort of lieutenants mm-hmm. at HBO. Okay. And then we came up with a film that we wanted to make together, which was called Devil's Playground, about Amish teenagers. Mm-hmm. And that was my first film with HBO, and that did well. And then we did another one, and then we did probably seven or eight more and several series along the way. Hmm. And so for a long time, my process was I loved working with Sheila and her team at HBO, and my process was come up with a project to make with Sheila, and one would be ending, and we'd have a meeting and figure out what the next one was going to be, and I would just go do that one. Very cool. So it's almost more driven by uh, the network. You'll you'll get funding from the network or a promise from the network up front and then you can run with it. I mean, I realize now that it's very lucky for me to have had that relationship and a lot of, I mean, for a lot of filmmakers, raising the money is not that easy. Yeah. And of late, I've been, I've been, so the Chasing Tyson film was for ESPN Mm. and Dancer was for BBC Films, Mm -hmm. but always pre-sold. And this, right now, I have a film called Step that's going to Sundance that's about a group of inner city girls in Baltimore who form a step team in their high school and they all try to get to college and they have some competitions through the year and we followed that whole story it was premiering at Sundance in January and that's the first film I've ever funded independently wow Very fully independently cool. and tell us a little bit more about going to Sundance with that film you were telling us some interesting details before we started interviewing no, Sundance, is, Sundance is still six seven weeks away so mm-hmm. um, it's about 18 girls on a inner city Baltimore step dance team. And we're taking them all to Sundance with chaperones. So 31 people are coming to Baltimore, some of whom have never been outside their tri-state area. It's going to be quite an experience. That will be. And have they arranged, I mean, I guess the screening schedule is probably set by now. Have they arranged a special screening where everyone can come and they can do a talk pack with all 18 of them afterwards of some sort? We will be doing all kinds of special screenings with them. They're performing at different Sundance events. Oh, cool. and and we're also selling the film there. Since we made it independently, we have no distribution deals. So we're hoping to have like a lot of hype and excitement around the screenings. It was just mentioned in, in the New York Times as one of the four films to watch, which is really amazing. So it feels like we'll have a good buzz and a good screening and hopefully sell it. But it's strange to be in that place now, having spent my entire career pre-selling them, mostly to HBO, and always having distribution in place. You go to a couple festivals, you show it, and it's you know your distribution's done. It's very not stressful. This is a majorly stressful Sundance experience. So, so that's good for Rose that he's coming in with such fanfare. That's just going to really help. It sounds very exciting. <laughs> so on that note, you have two different films about dance. Uh, we were curious um, whether the process that you underwent to make Dancer differed in some ways 
um, because of the nature of covering a dancer than your other uh, processes for previous films. And it could be that every film is a little different because of the type of scheduling you have to do with your subject, et cetera. So we're just curious if there's anything unique about dancers you found. And maybe, now that we're talking about step, there are some things that the two had in common, or maybe they're totally different. But um, with dancer in particular, what were some unique things about you know, the nature of the subject matter that uh, changed your process? Sure, it's a good question. I would say, first of all, filming dance is something I had never done before other than filming my daughter with my iPhone or my little video camera at home. So there's the possibility of setting up the camera in a wide location and just getting the whole, you know, covering the whole dance in one shot. But if you try and do something a more intimate and up close, you, you've got a person leaping out of frame and leaping back into frame and very hard to cover. You end up, like, spinning around trying to keep up with them. So learning how to shoot dance was interesting. And my cinematographers and I figured out that the best thing to do is watch the rehearsals over and over again and figure out exactly where they're going to land. And then as long as we knew the dance in our heads, we could figure out, like, okay, if the camera's over here to the left side of the stage, he's going to end up jumping right over there, and we'll get a perfect shot of his foot landing right here because they were hitting the same spot every time. And then I guess there's—I guess dancers are a particular personality, and they're a very insular group, and they're used to hanging out with each other mostly mm-hmm. and talking about dance a lot. Very true. And so just learning how to communicate with Sergei, especially given a little bit of a language barrier, and just learning the ballet speak and... And as you said, he might have been a little um, hesitant at first because there was a long period of building trust. So I'm sure, I don't know if that's similar to any of your other subjects in the past, but I'm sure that also added to some some time that it took. Yeah, I mean, I think if anyone comes to you and says, hey, I want to make a documentary of your life, you're like, no way. There's (laughs) nothing in the world I would less like to do than have you dig into my past and my family and my psychology and my parents' divorce and... (laughs) and I'm the bad boy of ballet and I've got all this negative press like what would possibly be my reason for wanting to make a documentary Mm -hmm. so I'm sure on some level he was that was his initial reaction Mm -hmm. and he had to warm up to the idea over time yeah you're right I think only the Kardashians are excited about having cameras around them all the time (laughs) that's all obviously you know very controlled and pre-scripted and they know exactly what they're going to be saying and there's no digging into anything actually real on that in that format so so that brings up um a question that i had had also because you are working so intimately with a subject in this case sergey um how do you find you try to balance your own subjective personal feelings about your subject with objectivity and try not to maybe let your own opinions steer where the next or where the course of the film goes. Generally speaking, how do you find that balance, and how did you find that balance in documenting Sergei's life? I have no feelings. <laughs> All my feelings are about just trying to tell the best possible story and make it as entertaining as possible and enlightening as possible and enjoyable and make audiences connect with the characters and care about the story they're watching. And mm-hmm. my personal feelings are don't really enter into it. I'm like as transactional as you can possibly be, yeah. not getting too emotionally invested and just trying to tell the best story. Even when I'm deeply, like in the case of Sally Mann, that the woman who we got the Oscar nomination, we made another film together that took 10 years to make, and she became a dear, unbelievably close personal friend to this day. Still, We're still extremely close. Wow. And, and 
talked for hours about how to make the best possible film, and she's extraordinary about dissecting her political pro- her uh, di- about sort of psychologically dissecting her artistic process mm-hmm. and the psychology behind her work and her family and how it's all interwoven in her career. And even in that case, I still was like, "What's going to be? Where's the conflict? Where's the best possible storyline?" She said some really beautiful, meaningful things that I thought were too flowery. Those are out. So this is kind of random, but in that case, have there been instances where subjects expected one thing, maybe because you have a certain type of personal relationship or um, rapport with each other, and then they see something else on screen and they think, oh, I thought it would be portrayed differently, or I thought you know, that flowery speech I gave was going to be in the documentary or something. Is there ever a disconnect or is there ever surprise with the final product when they see it? I think because... I have now gotten pretty skilled at distilling stories down to their essence and really evoking character in a moving way. Mm-hmm. I think most people see the film and are moved by the telling of their own story. Yeah, And I have not had any complaints, and Sergei was completely mesmerized and blown away by the film. That's great. He, awesome. he tells a story of, like, David LaChapelle kind of tricked him into watching it, and he was sitting with a group of dancers, and David said, hey, we're going to watch your movie, and next thing you know, it was starting, and he was, like, drinking beers, just trying to watch the edit process, and the next thing you know, he was crying, and oh it dredged up all kinds of emotions for him. And wow. Was he involved in the edit process at all? No. No. Not so at all. You guys just, that's... He saw the final film. admirable. Wow. He saw the final film and had no comments. His only comment was, there, is there any way we could get Natasha in even one shot at the end? And, oh, and we tried and couldn't. Well, we did want to ask, I mean, I think maybe this is a good getting towards wrap-up question. It seems like the question is sort of answered, you know, did the public misunderstand Sergei or is he really the bad boy of ballet? But I guess taking that another step farther, what did you really learn about him in the process? And do you think there are still things that um, maybe even viewers of this film don't understand about him just because it's on a deeper level? Anything you can tell us about him that might surprise people or that might change their thoughts about him? I mean, I think the bad boy of ballet moniker that he got stuck with was unfair Mm -hmm. in the sense that he never missed performances and never performed badly and does not have one partner who ever felt like he let them down or like he was drunk or on drugs during a performance or anything like that even if he was Mm -hmm. he was meticulous about keeping his schedule and and always performed well and always brought something of himself to his performances and so that to me dispels the bad boy of ballet rumor right there because if he was missing performances and people were buying tickets and there was a you know mm-hmm. concern with the public that he wasn't showing up or whatever then I would see him having earned that to some degree but it was just about the fact that he would skip rehearsals even though he would still do great in the performance they didn't like the fact that he was skipping rehearsals and and he would tweet at 3 3 a.m that he's on drugs and and so there was this perception of ooh, we have this kid who might some point down the road become a problem and could become a bad boy of ballet and could miss performances and could drop like i think there was a fear that any something could happen but nothing ever happened so and just as an aside because this keeps it just keeps coming up in my mind is bad boy of ballet is that a a bad moniker or a mean moniker i mean did everyone interpret it that way because maybe this is just super american or i'm just totally out of the loop but i already always thought it was kind of like oh he's like the cool guy everyone thinks he's super cool because he's the bad boy of ballet you know Maybe I'm just projecting. There was a time that he thought it was cool, too, and I think he fed Mm -hmm. into it and would probably be sitting home sober tweeting that he's out of the club. Yes, that's true. But the press distinctly took it in a negative direction. (coughs) I mean, the press, we see what the press 
when they get when they get a hold of something they yeah. need to sell papers or whatever and they love to run with it and he was a great guy to be a story okay. for a while interesting with his tattoos were unusual for ballet and his mean looks he never smiles in pictures and ah. he's got his fists and but I'm sure most American women find it very sexy and oh yes ooh the bad boy of ballet <laughs> so you're in a swoon <laughs> And actually, this is also sort of an aside, but I really think it's a missed opportunity for the ballet world. If you have a young dancer who fits into the quote-unquote millennial generation and is wonderful at what they do, and but at the same time, they're saying, like, look, I'm human. I like to go out and party. I like to have fun. And let's all just have a good time. And you know what? I'm a great dancer, and I perform well. I really think it's a missed opportunity. New York City, um, I think any of the large companies could have really benefited from a personality like that. And it really is a loss to the dance world that he wasn't more embraced by New York City and other companies, I think, when he was trying to find a place. Well, first of all, he's 26 years old now. So so he's still in his prime very much. Mm-hmm. Second of all, I think he is... He has got one problem that he is not a very good communicator. He's not very good at returning emails or phone calls. He doesn't answer his phone. And I think when he left the Royal, I think there were some overtures made by ABT and other Mm -hmm. companies to try and get in touch with him, and he didn't return phone calls quickly enough. And I think he definitely rubbed some people the wrong way, which Mm -hmm. was not a good idea. And he didn't do it in a a premeditated fashion or anything. He's just not a Mm – yeah. Needs an agent. Well, the whole ballet world needs an agent. I think that's that's something that he's actually working on right now is trying to figure out a way of creating stars out of the ballet world because just about any other field you can think of, there are there's a star system. Yeah. And ballet is very tough. You have extraordinary dancers who are just members of the company and they're put in everything and they get paid the same as the other yeah. principals or core members or soloists. Or Sergey's trying to get something like that going right now. I don't think he'll be joining a company ever. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, the world really does need more stars. Like you say, you have to take advantage of that. If somebody is really grabbing people's imagination and their attention as a public persona, that's so helpful to our world. At the same time, I mean, it's still a very, very, very strictly disciplined world for understandable reasons. And if someone's actually missing rehearsals, I mean, I can see where you'd be like, whoa, you know, the rehearsal is the stop before the stage. That's how we know that you are going on stage, you know. So I, like, I understand that side, but at the same time, yeah, you definitely don't want to write anyone off who has the star power to bring you attention because that's what we need. We need people buying tickets to see well, For some show. reason, there's yeah. there's two things going on. Number one, it's all about the companies. So you buy a ticket to go see the New York City Ballet, you don't know who you're going to see. Yeah. You're not buying a ticket to go see Sterling Hilton and Tyler Peck yeah. in the Nutcracker. You're buying a ticket to the Nutcracker. Right. Number one. There are a lot of dancers who are <laughs> curating their own performances now, and that has been a big new trend in the dance world. And we just recently saw Natalia Asipova and Sergei perform based on that model where she curated some choreographers and performed to them. And number two, number two is, I don't know what it is exactly about ballerinas, but for, about ballet dancers, but for some reason there's this public perception of untouchability to them. Mm-hmm. And they're intimidating and they're very insular and they're not, they're not mm-hmm. accepted by, like they, ballet dancers should be, on Broadway, and and I think there's a perception that they're a part of this company, so they're in New York City Ballet, you can't work with them. Wow. 
And all the New York City dancers would love to be in fashion shows and photo shoots and on Broadway and really? out there way more often. Like in our conversation, I had a conversation re- recently with Tyler Peck, and she wants to be out there doing things, and she's trying to curate different dance programs and be part of the culture and not just a dancer with New York City Ballet. And nobody knows that. Companies are not doing anything to get the dancers out there, and the dancers don't have agents and don't have representation, don't make enough money to, for it to be worthwhile for an agent or lawyer to represent them. And so they're just stuck in this in their ballet world, yeah. and, and they live there with each other. So that's really great that Sergey is noticing this, and he's <coughs> trying to build an effort where ballet dancers are approached differently, where they do have an agent, where they have someone advocating for them and making more connections with other worlds, because you're right. Um, right now, everyone does just see ballet as being, well, you're in this world and stay there. Yeah, yeah but there's no, other, there's no other world you can think of that's like that, not opera, not theater, not... I mean, look at soccer, you know? There's amazing star system, and they get tons of money, and they go from team to team. And, exactly. and ballet is the same degree of dedication and the same degree of athleticism and the same number of people doing it. And, and they also have seasons, so they would also have periods of time when they their schedules were more open or slightly more open to other things. So I think that's such a great point that uh, maybe the companies themselves should be helping or encouraging dancers to break outside that box and it must be hard for them because it's kind of an existential threat they wouldn't want to push too many people too far and see them kind of it's become less economic, disciplined or it's less an economic threat because yeah right now you buy a ticket the nutcracker is selling out no matter who's in it if sterling hilton and tyler peck don't dance the nutcracker they're out and the next two people are in and they still are selling the same number of tickets if they yeah. make it tyler peck above the title they have to pay tyler peck more yeah, but they'd also be making enough more. Like, they would make so many more ticket sales, arguably, no, but if they sold made out. a star out of it. It's yeah. sold out. You can't, it's sold out every performance. They don't need to sell more tickets. Well, many performances are not are sold out, though. I mean, maybe the Nutcracker, but there are a lot that are... The companies are not motivated to create a star system. Yeah. Yeah, it's too I bad. I think they would benefit, and there would be... They could play in larger theaters, and they could... Yeah. New York City Ballet could travel to all around the world. Yeah. I mean, more easily, I think there would be a benefit to them, but they can't see the forest through the through the trees. I think that it's definitely happening on an independent level. I don't know how long then it takes to actually make change. Although you know, we see change happen just by by pushing it slowly but surely. I know um, my friends and I have talked a lot about this. I make independent dance films whenever I have time with my friends, and um, one of them is very embedded in the fashion world. A couple of them are actually um, from years of working Victoria's Secret, et cetera, and. Um, we talk a lot about the overlap and how you can hire dancers, particularly for fashion and ballet, but obviously there are tons of things that ballet dancers would fit into. Um, and Robbie did a great job, I thought, in American on Paris. Like, where yeah. we've seen them on Broadway, it's incredible. Um, so I think with at least, at least with the independent community starting to become fascinated with the dancer and push them forward in different ways, we'll start to see a change, and then maybe the companies will be forced to change. But slower. It'd be great if they actually... Um, tried to help push that trend forward themselves. Yeah. Well, Sergey's on it. Yeah. Awesome. Go, Sergey. Got to get him on our podcast to talk about it. <laughs> Is there anything else um, you want to say or announce before we wrap up? Available on iTunes and Amazon. Nice meeting you guys. Nice chatting. Yeah. You too. Thank you so much. This has been really great, and I now have newfound appreciation for the film Dancer. Thank you. <laughs>